Good morning, church. Good morning. I am not Pastor Bobby Lewis, if you haven't gotten that so far. I know some of you guys circled the church parking lot, looked for his car, and then you're watching online. Um, this is the week that the student pastor gets to preach, and uh, I am praying that God would just use this, um, because I know uh, that this is exactly where he would have us to be, and what he wants to say to our church through his word. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, if you would go ahead and open up, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to attempt to get through the entire chapter this morning. Uh, that is a big, bold claim. We'll see what happens. Um, but if you go ahead and change, get there, read, we're going to read that here in a moment. But I want to ask the question, with everything that's been going on in our nation, um, with the Asbury revival, with seeing that spread onto other campuses, with seeing uh, the Jesus Movement movie that came out recently. Some of you all have been there and watched that, and uh, you've been looking back on how God has been faithful in the past. And even here in our church, we've seen spiritual movement. We've seen God work and move in some in, in powerful ways. So I wanna ask the question, what does real revival look like? We go to the word, we should always go to the word, right? Because our emotions go all sorts of places. We should go to the word. And if we look at scripture, what does real revival look like? When I started in student ministry, I've been in student ministry to some capacity on staff at Grace for 12 years, which is why I have a lot of gray hair uh, and, and I broke my neck this summer because time is catching up with me. Um, but 12 years, my first year being here on staff as a student ministry intern, I remember just having these lofty goals. I've been to Bible college. I'm ready for this. I'm just excited. I know God's gonna move in some incredible ways. And we went to summer camp with our middle school students. And one service, God seemed to be moving. And, and there's a lot of response from students. And one middle school student of mine went down front just weeping, just weeping. I'm like, Lord, this is it. You prepared me for this moment. And so I go, and after the service, I, I grab that student. We go off into the hallway, and we're, we're alone. And I'm like, hey, uh, tell me, what's going on? What is God doing in your heart? And I just knew he was gonna say, I am a sinner in need of a savior. Let's go. And do you know what he said? My stomach feels so strange right now. <laughs> really? Your stomach feels strange. What else, you know? Is there anything else? Like, do you remember what was said, what was preached, what was, no, I don't remember anything else. I just have this weird feeling in my stomach. And I was like, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe you're not quite ready yet, you know? So what does real revival look like? More than just a feeling in our stomach, it's the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. So a little bit of background to this passage before we stand and read. In Acts chapter two, Acts is written by Luke, who wrote Luke, now he continues to write about the Acts of the Apostles. He, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he spends about 40 days after his resurrection walking with his disciples. We know that Paul says that he appeared to over 500 people. So Jesus is walking with his disciples. I'm sure he's teaching them, he's instructing them, he's preparing them for his, his departure, and he leaves them with a mission before he ascends into heaven. In Acts 1.8, we've got it on the screens for you. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he gives them a mission. You're gonna have the Holy Spirit come upon you. But in the meantime, I want you to wait and pray for this moment. Jesus ascends into heaven. They're, they're, the disciples are staring into the sky and the, and the angels appear and they say, hey, stop looking up. You're gonna hurt your neck, right? He'll come back in the same way that he went. But in the meantime, you need to go and you need to pray. 
So all of the disciples, they gather into the upper room, about 120 of them, and they humbly begin to pray, and they begin to wait. And we get to Acts chapter two. So if you would stand with me, we're gonna read the first 13 verses. Here's what the word of the Lord says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is that that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them talking in our tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they are filled with new wine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can gather and we can look at your word. But God, I am so aware that what we need today cannot be created by anyone other than you. I can be creative, I can be convincing, and without your spirit, it's worthless. We can sing, we can go home, without you moving, nothing will change. And so Father, I just pray that in the next few moments that we share together, that Christ, the gospel would be central and that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our lives in a way where we walk away more like him. Imperfect, but forgiven and indwelt (laughs) in the real deal. So God, help us, help me by your grace alone. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So I don't have a ton of time and we have a lot to cover in this text. So I'm gonna try to go a little quickly, but I really want to zero us back in on what does real revival look like? What do we see in the word? And when we get into the second chapter of Acts, we see that the disciples are gathered in this this upper room and it says on the day of Pentecost. We need to know what Pentecost is, right? The word Pentecost literally means 50th. Uh, it's, it's a celebration, a Jewish celebration that would take place 50 days after the Passover. 
And so we know from John 19 that Jesus actually died the day before Passover. So almost exactly 50 days after the death and crucifixion of Jesus, there's another Jewish festival happening at Pentecost. It is literally the festival of weeks, the Shabbat, where they're gathering from all over. Jews would have come in to be here. And verse five tells us that Jews from every nation under heaven were present which is interesting based on Acts 1-8 that where, where Jesus has said, you're gonna go to all of the places, Judea, Samaria, you're gonna do the ends of the world. And he starts, God starts his church by bringing the nations to them. And then he says, I'm gonna pour out my spirit. And so on the day of Pentecost, this happens. Jesus' followers are in the upper room. They're gathered, they're praying. And suddenly a mighty rushing wind from heaven filled the entire house. A mighty rushing wind. You guys ever heard a mighty rushing wind before? Some of you heard it on Friday. Uh, I'm gonna be honest, with, Amber sent me to Home Depot. I had to buy some boxes on Friday. And so uh, I bought boxes and some other things and I put them in the car, I check out and I go out and it was peaceful when I was walking in. But as I'm heading to my truck to put the, the boxes in the car, a wind, a gushing wind fills the shopping cart and boxes go everywhere. I mean, they're flying across the Home Depot parking lot over here on Shad Road. I start chasing. I don't know what to do, you know, because I don't know, I can't go in eight directions. So I chase the one that went the furthest and I run after it and I'm able to grab it. I grab another one. Uh, by God's grace, most of the boxes fell and they landed in such a way that the cart rested on them. The cart didn't fly and hit somebody's car. And I'm just chasing boxes. I gather all the boxes. I stand up and somebody gets out of his car just smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> You saw that whole thing, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, a, a mighty rushing wind. You've heard that sound. I remember being a kid living in Murfreesboro and we got tornado warnings all the time. And we'd go and hunker down in, in our one bathroom with no windows and put couch cushions over our heads because that would really help. And uh, I remember one time a tornado went by so close to our neighborhood that our, the windows, the glass in our windows started to vibrate. Some of you guys have heard sounds like that. You've been in storms like that. This is an unmistakable moment. This is not something that the disciples could be like, did you, did you sense him? Yeah, I don't know, maybe. I mean, Bob said he sensed him. You know, I, I don't know if I did. You know, this is an unmistakable moment. A mighty wind comes, and it says specifically this wind is from heaven. It's from heaven, which leads to our first point when we look at true revival. Real revival is created by God. Real revival is created by God. It is not something that we can just produce. It's not something that we can plan or calendar. It is something that we need the spirit of God to move and give us. You know, wind in scripture is closely linked to the spirit. You get wind, you get breath, you get pneuma in Greek, you get ruha in Hebrew, and it's closely linked to spirit. Sometimes you've got to make a, as a if you're translating, you gotta make a decision based on the context of is, is this wind or is this the, the spirit? Is this a breath? Is this the spirit? You know, and, and I think back to all the Old Testament references of wind and spirit and breath, and I think of Genesis 2, 7, where God has created all things. He makes Adam and he forms him from the dust and it says he breathed the breath of life into him. And in that moment, God is breathing life into his creation and here we see God is breathing life into his church. 
In Ezekiel 37, we see the valley of dry bones where where God tells uh, Ezekiel to go and prophesy over these dry bones. And he calls out, he says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these that are slain. And Ezekiel prophesies and the bones rattle and tendons form and they come back to life, an army. And God says, I'm gonna do this with my people. I'm gonna resurrect my people. Their dry bones are brought to life and here the spiritually dead are being brought to life. And then John Three, when Nicodemus goes to talk to Jesus himself in the middle of the night, he's saying, how, how can we be saved? Jesus says, you gotta be born again. You gotta be born of the water and of the spirit. And if you're not born of both, you're, you're never gonna enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse seven, he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse eight, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is blowing, and Luke says it's like a mighty wind. It sounded like a mighty wind coming upon them. We see tongues of fire resting on each individual disciple. Uh, It says they were like tongues of fire. These are not literal tongues. That would be strange. Uh, These are are flame-like things. This is supernatural. It's symbolic, right? And it's mainly symbolic of, number one, fire symbolizes the presence of God. In the Old Testament, you remember when Moses talked to God in in Exodus 3 and and God showed up in a burning bush. Presence. Throughout scripture, fire is the presence of God and tongues because they are about to go and declare the mighty works of God. And so this, this appears on them and it's divided because no longer is God going to dwell in one place, the tabernacle. In one place, the burning bush. In one place, the pillow of fire. But now God is going to dwell in every believer. So it's divided among them and they begin to speak supernaturally the languages of the people. God is moving. I went to uh, visit a church years ago. Sometimes we do this as pastors. We go and we actually just did this last week where we go to a church that seems to be doing well. They've got something, even if we don't necessarily fully agree with everything, we'll go and say, what can we learn? And years ago, I went to visit a church that if I named, all of you would know. And, and you would be like, yes, I've heard of this church. I know that pastor. Uh, I'm aware of that. I'm not going to name them because this is a negative illustration. And I'd rather not be on social media. Um, but we went to see them. And when we got there, man, we were blown away by, by the building and the spaces they had. Uh, they, their parking lots were excellent. Their lobby was incredible. We did a behind the scenes tour, which was weird. That's what they called it. And and they walked us around. They showed us all that they did. And I really began to grasp, they really care about environments. They talked a lot about our environments, so much so that they would would pipe and drape their sanctuary every single Sunday morning, knowing that people would fill in and they would have to take that pipe and drape down to make more room. But they would do it every single Sunday because they said it generates excitement. It generates excitement for people to come in and they, they walk in and like, oh man, God must be moving in this place. They're having to tear down this pipe and drape. That is amazing, right? That, they do it every week. That's called wasted volunteer hours, if you're asking me, right? They do it every week. But the kicker was when, when they told us that they pipe a scent through the entire church that's unique to them. And they do it to create scent memory so that when somebody walks in and they haven't been to church in a while, they walk in and they're like, oh, wow, I, I miss this place, right? 
The scary thing is Universal Studios does the same thing in all their hotels. Those of you who have been there, you know that. Maybe that's why we continue to go as a family because they've got a scent that they pipe through their hotels and we go home, we're like, we gotta buy a candle that smells like that, right? Uh, And so they're piping scent into their church and they play loud music during their invitations and they're walking us through, here's how you can do this. And I remember just thinking, we don't need a man-made revival. We need a work of God. We don't need something that we can create. We don't need, if I can talk you into it, someone else will talk you out of it. We need the Holy Spirit to move in a powerful and unmistakable way. And I, I for one, do not wanna live my life creating something that will not last for eternity. May it not be said of our church. God move in a powerful way. Revival is created by God. They begin to speak in tongues. The Greek word for this is glossa, right? And that could be either the, the actual organ, the tongue, or it could be languages. And sometimes context is what you gotta look at to see what it is. So some people will look at this who believe in private prayer language and they will say, okay, well, this is, this is facts. You, you, the Holy Spirit moves, everyone will speak in tongues. That's a sign of salvation. Uh, but we, can, we know when we look at verse six and eight that the, the word shifts to dialectos. You could hear the Greek word dial, dialect in there, right? So we know from the context, this is not a private prayer language. Now we can talk about private prayer languages uh, when Pastor Bobby is preaching. We'll let him do that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he would love to do that. Sorry, pastor. Um, But right now we know in Acts 2, that's not what's happening here. In Acts 2, the disciples are speaking supernaturally in every language of all the people that were gathered. It was done for a purpose. So that as they declare the mighty works of God, the people, the crowd will understand them. They'll get it, they'll hear it, they'll hear the truth. They were drawn in by this. It says that the crowd gathered and they didn't gather because of the wind, they didn't hear the wind, they gathered because of the words of the disciples. And they gathered and they, they see what's happening. Really what's going on is almost a reversal of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, there's spiritual pride. We can get to heaven. We can build a tower. Let's get after it. We can reach God. And what does God do? He confuses their language. He divides them. What happens now is spiritual humility. Gather In a room, they humbly pray, God, we can't do this. We don't have a marketing strategy for this. We don't know how to do this. We got nothing. If you don't move, there's nothing. And they wait. And the humility of that moment is where God sends his spirit and he unites their language for this season. He unites them so that the gospel can go forth and these people can hear the truth. This is a supernatural move of God, and when they hear it, they, there's amazement, there's bewilderment, but then there's also people who say, well, aren't these Galileans? These are uneducated Galileans. How is it that they are speaking in, in this tongue? How is it that they are sharing this? They don't, they, haven't, they don't have the education that we have, but we understand them as they are. God can't use people like this in this way. Have you ever felt like that? God can't use people like this in this way. You've looked at somebody, maybe you've written them off. I went to go write this sermon the rest of the way, praise God, on Friday. Um, I went to Panera. 
and I'm at Panera and I'm gonna get coffee and I step up to get coffee and there's somebody standing getting, getting his lid, getting his coffee prepared. And I'm gonna be honest, he, he, he's tatted up, all, face tattoos, the whole bit, kind of looked a little rough. And I, I'm thinking, Lord, I don't have time to witness to somebody, okay? I, I've got a sermon to write. I'm way too important for this. <laughs> I don't have time. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe I won't have to. You know, maybe he'll, he'll move. And, and he, as I'm wrestling with all of this, he, he looks at me and he just says, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm in your way. I can, I'll move out. And I said, it's okay. I can, I can reach. I can grab the lid. And I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I am just blessed to be alive. God has blessed me in so many ways. <laughs> the Lord is just all over me right now. He says, I, I've got my feet hurt. It's hard for me to get up in the mornings. I've been through a lot, but, but God has just blessed me. And I'm thinking, okay, all right, Lord, yeah. He starts witnessing, his name's Sherman. We spent 30 minutes talking about the Lord and all that God had done in his life and all that God had taken him through. And I'm like, oh my goodness, how, how shameful of me to write somebody off. God can't use that person. I'm the one, spiritual pride. And the Lord humbled me. And the Lord needs to humble us. People walk into this room and we might look at them and say, well, they can't, they won't, they don't understand. They might, maybe more than you. And we need the spirit to work in us in such a way that nobody will look at us and say, they did that. Uh, my prayer for our church, and we'll move to point two because we, we gotta move. My prayer for our church is that God would do something so powerfully here in Carnes that no one would give us credit. That they would just say, I, I know those people. They're not doing this. God's at work there. He's using the weak to shame the wise. He, he's working powerfully in them. He's created this revival. He's created this pouring out of the spirit we wouldn't judge others, but that we would see such a powerful move that we would see people who we maybe have written off in the past come to Christ and be powerful spiritual leaders. Grow, yes, but be here. It's created by God. And we even see that some are, some are mocking them. Oh, they're just filled with new wine. There's always gonna be doubters with revival. That's okay. There were doubters at the ascension of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28. It says that they, they gathered around Jesus on that hill they worshiped him and some doubted. They're seeing this powerful move of the spirit and some are mocking them. They're just, they're just filled with new wine. And if you're in this room and you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ and the reason you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is because you need more proof, no you don't. Your problem is not a lack of proof, it's a lack of spiritual movement in your life. It's a lack of surrender. Because you could look at Jesus in the face. You could see him raise into the heavens and walk away doubting. It's not about your sight. It's about the work of the spirit in your life. We need God to move. We need something that we cannot create. Point number two, let's keep moving. Real revival is centered on the preached gospel. It's centered on the preached gospel. Peter begins to preach. He gathers everybody together and he boldly starts to declare the message of Jesus. He quotes Joel 2, 28 through 32 and he talks about where Joel prophesies that the spirit would fall on all flesh and Peter says that's what's happening here. 
The Spirit has moved. You should know this. You're, you're Jewish people. You know the scriptures. You should know that this day was coming. And what Joel prophesied in chapter two of, of his work is what's happening right now. And verse 21 of Acts two is, is the, the key theme in Joel. It's the key theme here in Peter's sermon. I don't have it on the screen, so you have to put your eyes on it, but he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Peter continues his sermon. Look at verse 22. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, meaning you've seen him, you've seen God work and move. You were here when he did this, when Jesus performed these miracles. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible for him to be held by it. Revival, true revival, is centered on the preached gospel. Peter begins to share, which we, we should pause and say, why is Peter so different here? Peter's changed a lot since we've last seen him. In Luke 22, Peter's around a campfire and he's afraid of a child. Won't own, won't own that he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. And yet here, he's before thousands of people and he's declaring boldly, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, God raised. What shifted in him? The Holy Spirit. That's what shifted. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It came into him and it changed him. And some of you can relate to that because you'll run into people from high school and they'll look at you and say, wow, you're in church? You follow Jesus? You read your Bible, you, you, something's different about you. What, what has changed in your life? And, and the answer is not, well, I, I just got so much better. I just learned how to improve. I started practicing good works and eventually I, it's just natural to me. I wake up and I evangelize, I pray. You just gotta work at it. You just gotta earn it. No, if that's your story, you, you, you humbly say, God, the grace of Jesus Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I don't know, and I am still a work in progress, but God is what changed my life. And Peter shares boldly the gospel and he preaches it to them. And he says, you crucified him, the Jesus. Can you imagine that? The people in this crowd were probably some of the very same people that were 50 days prior were in a crowd yelling, crucify him that gathered for Passover, that came in for Passover in Jerusalem, and 50 days prior, they were sitting in a crowd looking at the Jesus that they had seen, yelling, free Barabbas, crucify Jesus. So when he says, you crucified him, they are imaging back, some of them, to calling out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, and Peter in that moment says, that Jesus whom you crucified, God raised. And he gives them hope. God waited for the very same audience that put Jesus to death to be in the city before he pulled, poured out his spirit to announce there's forgiveness. You can be forgiven. There's grace. 
You tried to kill him, but death could not hold him. He is alive. He has defeated sin and death. He is reigning at the right hand of of the Father. And there is forgiveness. And all who call on his name will be saved. And he waited for them to be there to hear it. In the same way that Jesus looked on those who were crucifying him and said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. He waited for that audience to be in the room. And Peter preaches and he announces, repent and be forgiven. Revival will always centered on the preached gospel. There's no other way. We can sing songs and songs are amazing, but those songs better be about the preached gospel. Because emotions can be powerful things. We can, we can move for a lot of different reasons. Emotions aren't bad, but they better be grounded and motivated by truth. So Peter shares the good news of Christ. Without bad news, though, there is no good news. When I was a, a kid in Awana, I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot of verses Anybody else do Awana, right? Or RAs or GAs, right? All that stuff. Uh, I knew a lot about God. Grew up in church, my, you know, praise God. I have that foundation. But everything in me knew that Jesus died for everybody else. He didn't have to die for me because I'm a pretty good kid, you know. But Jesus died for them. But until you realize that Jesus died for you, you'll never know him in power. You'll never be indwelt by the spirit. You'll never surrender him as Lord because you're gonna walk in when you're spiritual pride and it takes humility. So it's not just that they were in the crowd yelling crucify him, it's that you were also in the crowd and your sin was yelling crucify him. The things that you have done in open rebellion against him put Jesus on the cross. I was a junior in high school when I got that. It's not their sin, it's my sin that put Jesus on the cross. I need forgiveness. I need Christ to come and forgive me because I'm hopeless. If that's you in this room, praise God, you're here. God has gathered you into this audience so that you could hear, hey, yes, your sin put Christ to death, but God raised him anyway. There's hope, hope beyond this life, Hope beyond death, death is just a doorway to eternity. Man, I know when, when dad passed away, it was grueling. The entire experience with him was grueling. The disease that he had took him bit by bit and it was heart-wrenching to walk through that with him and with Betsy and our family. And it was heart-wrenching to see him take his last last breath. It was heart-wrenching to walk through that. And you guys knew him and you walked through that with us, praise God. And some of you are in that right now in some varying degree. And death can be grueling until we take the sting out of it. Christ defeated death. His resurrection secured our resurrection. It is not permanent. It is temporary. Christ has defeated death and those that we have lost that are in the Lord, we will see again in a million years is gonna make all of that not be as heavy. A drop of water compared to the ocean of glory. Not worth comparing. He preaches the gospel. He gives them hope. And then the last thing, and I'm done. 
He cultivates lasting, real revival cultivates lasting and genuine fruit. Lasting and genuine fruit. What's the response of the people? Verse 37. Now when they heard, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off from every, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Now that's an invitation. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their, fruit, their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. True revival cultivates lasting and genuine fruit. We see it in a powerful way after Peter's sermon. They're cut to the heart, conviction of sin. This immediate fruit, conviction of sin. What do we do? Repent, be baptized. Be saved. They do, they repent, they're saved, they, they're baptized, they are added 3,000 souls. And God moves like that in, in moments of just amazing fruit. We're, we're, we're just stumped by that. It's, it's incredible how on a, a single day, God can pour out a spirit. I saw it here two weeks ago with 30 students professing Christ as their Lord and Savior. I've seen it in this room. We've seen it across the country, immediate lasting fruit where it happens. And we're just like, wow. Some of you guys have been to camp. We got our student camps coming up this summer. And I'm praying that those events would be like that for some of our students. Just a, a flood of the Holy Spirit in that moment. There's an immediate fruit, but there's also lasting fruit. We see it starting in verse 42. Look at, look at all the things that God does and continues to do in them. They gather together for regular worship together at the temple, which means they're doing this for outreach. They're doing this so that they can go to the Jews and they can, they can share who Christ actually is. He's the Messiah. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They fellowship with one another on a regular basis. They share meals with each other, which is a sign of communion, yes, but also just meals. That's why my men's group meets at Cracker Barrel because it is amazing to share a meal with someone. They're hospitable. They open up their living rooms, open up their homes. It's really hard to do, by the way. We live in a culture right now where our back decks are bigger than our front porches, where we get home and we open up the garage door and we drive our car inside and we close our garage door and our neighbors don't even know us, right? They don't know what we look like, they don't know our names because we cocoon inside of our homes. It's really hard to, to loosen up and to let people in. One of our, our neighbors is a, a little boy who lives down the street. He loves to come over and play. 
And a couple of weeks ago, he came over and he'll just, it's always the worst moments in our minds when he comes over to ask to play. Uh, but he came over and he came right up to our door and he, uh, he looked in and we're all sitting in there. So there's no hiding, right? He sees us hi- there. He knows I'm gonna knock, they have to answer. I've seen them. And he, be- he begins to lick our window. <laughs> Buddy, that's gross. Don't do that. It's hard to open that door. Yeah, Barrett, you wanna go play? Go out and play. The window licking kid, you know? And, and so it's hard to open our homes. It's hard to invite that into our schedule, but we see that the Holy Spirit moves in such a way that we are hospitable, we're generous, our hands are open. Our time is not our own. Our things are not our own. We're, we're gonna do whatever it takes for the kingdom of God to be built. And at last, they praise God together and regularly we see salvation. Not just the 3,001 day, but rhythms of it happening in their midst. So there's immediate fruit, but there's also lasting fruit. And I wrote it like this, immediate fruit will get the, will get the attention of the news but lasting fruit will get the attention of our neighbors. There's a lot of people who aren't in this room and they're not in any church. They have no hope after this life. They're gathering as many things as they possibly can. And yes, praise God, we need immediate, powerful revival. We need it. I'm praying that we'll see it. But we also need the lasting genuine fruit where our neighbors are like, you're different. Why are you so generous? Why do you have so many people into your home? Why are you so kind? Why are you talking about Christ? Why are you not chasing after the same things that everybody else is? We need both of those things. So as we close, I'm gonna invite you to just come and pray. In the same way that the disciples came and prayed in the upper room, they humbled themselves and they said, God, we need you. We can't do this without you. We don't have the marketing strategy. We're not gonna pipe things into the air. We need you to come and work. I'm gonna invite our church to come and pray and ask God. He's been doing it. I'm asking for continued pour out of his spirit here in this place. Have the opportunity for that. And we don't need to romanticize the early church. People will always say, well, why can't we be more like the early church? The early church was not like the early church. A couple of chapters later, and we got people lying to the Holy Spirit and dropping dead, right? So it's not like they were perfect, but they were forgiven and they were indwelt with the Spirit. And God was working in their midst. That's what we need. That same student that told me he had a, he had a strange feeling in his stomach Years later, he came into my office, married with a kid, another kid on the way, and he broke down and said, I've just, I have not done any of this God's way. I'm, I've contemplated leaving my marriage. I don't know what to do, but I need to surrender. And weeping, we talked about Christ and what he would call him to do. We talked about forgiveness, we talked about grace, and that was an entirely different moment than the middle school version of him with an with a upset stomach. And I am praying that there would be some real surrender in my life and in our church and in our city and in our country and in our world that the spirit would move.
on all flesh. Let's pray and then you come Thank and Thank you respond. so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.